0: maybe see it. Preach the word. We get it in all different languages, actually. People call out those good words. Got a little bit of something going on with my voice today. You know, maybe I got a cold or something. I'm not sure what that is. No, No, they're working on it uh, as best they can back there. I appreciate the volunteers who help us with our with all the things that go on that we take for granted a lot of times. Uh, I just went back to put on this microphone and uh, noticed that John Bowers is here. John, uh, we love you. We love Nancy. Um, John and Nancy had decided in advance that they did not want to have any uh, services as far as uh, like a funeral or either one of them, and I guess everybody has a different way of dealing with those things, and we respect that, and John had told me at one point when I was at their house that they would just like to have a prayer at church, and uh, on Nancy's behalf, and so I'm going to say that prayer right now, and uh, John, we just want you to know how much we love you. I hope you'll give us a chance to give you a hug today, okay? Lord, we thank you for, well, we thank you for the hope that we feel right this moment, We thank you, God, that we know that Nancy is alive. We have faith that she is alive, God. We believe that because we believe the story that you told us, that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he raised from the dead. And uh, so, God, because of that, we have hope. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for your mercy in, in Nancy's passing. Please be with John, uh, be with his children, his grandchildren, the family. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be healing, taking care of them. And uh, we pray, God, that we might be uh, the church family that you've called us to be, to love, to be your hands and your tears and your hugs and your words and your presence. Uh, We pray all this through the name of the one that we claim as our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I have to ask you a question today as we uh, move forward in our series on encountering Jesus, as we look at these 12 episodes of different people who uh, met Jesus and and were impacted by him. And this is the question I have to ask you. Have you ever fallen on your face? Have you ever done that before? Well... (laughs) I, I'm asking that question partly, and those of you that are just seeing me this morning up here and you haven't seen me this week, you may not know, but I fell on my face this week, and that was when I was riding my bike. And some of you have had that experience, and some of you a lot worse than I have. But I, uh, I fell on my bike because a bug went in my ear, and I wanted the bug out of my ear, and I stuck my finger in there, and I was trying so hard to get that bug out that I crashed, and I really didn't care. I just wanted the bug out. That was all I cared about. And the bug did get out, and uh, so I was glad of that. That's a little bit embarrassing. I was out on a trail in the woods by myself, so it's, it's not too embarrassing. I got a scratch on my face. That's a little embarrassing, although my face already is kind of a mess, you know, so it's not too bad. It's a little bit embarrassing, but maybe you've fallen on your face before, and it, and it was really embarrassing. Heather Dornadin, she fell on her face, and it was really embarrassing embarrassing a college track athlete in march of 2008 here's a picture of her in the big 10 Championships, she was in the 600 meter race that's three times around an indoor 200 meter track and she was in the finals and she tripped and fell on her face at the end of the second lap and worse than that it was right in front of her hometown crowd what a humiliating experience If all of us were honest, then we'd have to say this. Whether you've actually fallen physically down and hit your face or not, all of us have fallen on our face. Every one of us have fallen flat. We've had humiliating experiences in our relationships, in our finances, moral failures, spiritually, our relationship with God. Every single one of us in one way or another, have fallen flat on our face. And when that happens, a lot of times people turn their back on someone who falls flat on their face. A lot of of times Christians turn their back on people who fall flat on their face. But I want you to know this. What we find in the book of Luke today as we read is that not only did Jesus not turn his back on people like that, Jesus sat down to eat with people like that. Let's pray, and then we'll read from Luke chapter 15. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our church family. Thank you, God, for the uh, just the opportunity to live life together with one another. This is a difficult season in our church family, God. There's a lot of people that are struggling and hurting, some with sicknesses, some with weaknesses, some with physical cancers and some with spiritual cancers. We just have a lot of uh, a lot of heavy things right now, God. And we pray again that you would help us to be the church family that would each of us would be willing to put our shoulder under the person's weight next to us and help carry. But most of all, God, we need you. We need you to help carry these burdens. We can't do these on our own. We can't just get together and and Think about some great things and say a few prayers and sing a few songs and things. Be better, God. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your strength. We need your power. We need your healing. We need your love. We need your mercy. We need your grace. And that's what we ask for today. As we read this text today, God, we want to thank you in advance for the Bible. We pray, God, that you would be our teacher, that you, Holy Spirit, would reveal to each of our hearts what we need to know in these brief verses today. We pray it all through the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And everyone said, Amen. Our text today is very brief. It's from Luke chapter 15, and it's just two verses, verse 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This is a a short verse that's followed then by Jesus in Luke chapter 15 telling three of the most famous stories probably that Jesus ever told. And and I would say three of as if he needs my uh you know, analyzing three of his best. Okay, so I guess that's just what I personally think. These are three of his best. I love these three stories. If you don't know the three stories in Luke 15, you are in for a treat this week as you open your Bible to Luke 15 and follow the reading on our card that we handed out to you. As you do that this week, you are in for reading three of the best short stories ever. And if you know those three stories really, really well, Let me tell you, if you'll humble yourself and still open your Bible and open your heart, you are in for such a treat this week to read those three stories again with an open heart, asking God to speak to you. These are three of the best stories ever told. And I want us just to talk a little bit about the context that Jesus told them in. Sitting at the table with tax collectors and sinners. We've already talked about tax collectors once. When we talked about Matthew, we're mentioning them again today. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and we're really going to dig into that whole subject about tax collectors and why they were so despised. But today, suffice it to say, people hated tax collectors for different reasons than they do today. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. I want us to look at three things as we think about Jesus sitting down with people that have fallen flat on their face. Here's the first thing is this. Number one, Jesus spent time with people who were not holy. People who were not right. People who, again, had fallen right on their face, who had blown it big time. Jesus spent time with them. Enough time that it's not just a one event in the Scriptures. We see it over and over and over Luke records in another place that actually he was called a glutton and a drunkard because these are the people he hung around with. His whole reputation kind of got changed by a lot of people because these are the people that he was with. That's not the only people he was with, but he was with them. That's important for us to remember. Why, why would Jesus? I, I, think, I think of that and I think, you know, God, who would God want to be with? I think God would want to be with Really good people, with people that don't mess up, with people that that believe in him and do things right and listen to him and obey him. That's who Jesus and God would want to be with. Why would Jesus spend his time with these people? Well, I'm going to tell you the reason is because he remembered his mission. Look at his mission a little later in Luke, in Luke chapter 19. The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. This is the mission of Jesus. That's why he could be together with people like this. You and I might not be too excited about being around people that have different values than we do, different habits than we have, things that maybe even offend us, people who have different beliefs than us, different convictions than us about things in their life. We might not be very comfortable being around people like that. We might not enjoy some folks as much as we do others. I like the story that I heard about a little boy named Timmy. He was out in his backyard and he was filling in a hole with a shovel. And the neighbor peeked over the fence. He was kind of curious about what this red-faced little kid was doing. He was kind of sweating as he had obviously been working for a little while. And the neighbor asked politely, what are you up to there, Timmy? And Timmy sadly said, my goldfish died. Teared up a little bit. He said, I've just, just buried him. The neighbor was a little concerned. He said, that sure is an awfully big hole for a goldfish, isn't it? Timmy patted down the last amount of ground on top and said, I didn't think it would be proper to take him out of your cat. <laughs> uh, a few of you can get that at lunch. Your spouse can explain it to you, okay, and tell you what that joke was about. Timmy and that neighbor probably didn't like each other very much right about that time. Probably didn't want to sit down and eat together. Probably pretty angry with each other. And they represent what a lot of us face with our neighbors and people around us and the people we live with. Yeah, there's certain times that we really may not feel very comfortable being with certain people, but I'll tell you this, we might find the energy to spend time with people who make us uncomfortable if we, like Jesus, would remember our mission. What is our mission? Let me give you two things that our mission is not, that I think sometimes Christianity presses forward. Maybe not purposely, but maybe accidentally. Here's the first one. Our mission is not to avoid everyone in the world that might stain our reputation. I'm not going to be around that person. I mean people might think I'm what fill in the blank whatever. That's not your mission. Your mission is not to protect your reputation by being so pure and 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 holy away from other people. That's not your mission. Your mission is to be like Christ, which means you're supposed to get messy with those people who will mess up your reputation. You're supposed to be with them. The Bible says we are not supposed to be of the world. In other words, we're not just supposed to jump into the deep end of sin and awful, ugly things like gossiping with people or, or like, sleeping with your neighbor that not, you're not married to. We're not supposed to jump into the deep end of sin. We're not supposed to be of the world, but we're supposed to be in the world. We're supposed to be with people who are sleeping with their neighbor that they're not married to. That's who we're supposed to be around. We're supposed to be with people who do horrible, ugly things like gossip about everybody. We're supposed to be around those people even though that stuff is disgusting. We're salt, Jesus said. We are light. He didn't say try to be salt. Try to be light. You ought to be salt. You should try harder to be brighter as light. He said you are salt. You are light. That means in the darkness, you light things up. If you're not in the dark, if we're just all together with our lights here at church, and then we leave from here, and the only people we're with are other lights, and we just go around, we're not brightening up any dark places. If you're salt, but you're just with a big, in a big salt shaker, and you're never being put into the world where there's decay and death, and you're not being around people that are struggling with those things that we might consider to be ugly then you're not really very useful as salt. You're the salt. You're the light. That's not our mission. Another thing that's not our mission is this, to be comfortable and wait for our mansion in the sky. Just get your ticket on the bus to heaven and then sit back and bide your time and relax until he comes. That's not our mission. We're looking forward to that day when he comes. I agree completely with what Kim said. We're looking forward to that day. But in the meantime, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this. First of all, back up to verse 8. It's by grace you've been saved. Not because you're so good, in case you thought you were. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, listen. For. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us to do in advance. Our mission is not just to sit back and relax and wait. Our mission is to do good works that He's prepared for us in advance. Here's three things, three scriptural things that would at least be our mission, if not more than these, but here's three. The first one is 1 Corinthians 10, 31 and 32. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all the glory of God. One of the things that is our mission is to bring glory to God. To bring attention, not to ourselves, but to Him. To bring Him glory. And so, when we are with people that make us uncomfortable, we have a chance to bring glory to God. A second thing that is our mission is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, we're therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making His appeal through us, And so we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If we are an ambassador for God, if you think of someone being an ambassador from another country, we're supposed to represent Him well. We're supposed to be a representation of who He is and was when He was on this earth. Which means that when it comes to those people that make us uncomfortable, if we're going to represent Him well, we're going to wade right in to those places that make us uncomfortable just like Jesus did, because we're an ambassador. We're going to act the same way he did. And finally, in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Our mission is to go, to go into all of the world. Some of you may say, well, goodness, <laughs> you know, I just, I just live here in Rudoso and I mean, I just really work at my job, and you know that's that's what people like Armand and Jacqueline do. They go to they go to Asia. They go into all the world. That's what people like Feliciano Belen do. They go down to the Philippines. They go into all the world. Not me. I'm just a guy. I'm just a girl. I'm just a teenager. I'm just an older person. I'm just a retired person. I, I, I'm just whatever. Do you know what part of the world the gospel has not gone to yet? You might say, well, not America, because in America we've got churches on every street corner. You've got TV. You've got books. I mean, the, the gospel has come to America, and I would challenge you by saying this. The gospel has not gone into the heart of your friend or coworker or neighbor or family member who have not trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. The gospel has not gone there. It may have knocked on the door there, but it hasn't gone there. And it may seem an impossible task for you to think, I'm the one who's supposed to go to my neighbor. I'm the one who's supposed to go to my friend, my coworker, my family member. I'm supposed to go. I, I'm not qualified. I can't do that. But here's, here's great news. Jesus said it himself right here. I am with you. Jesus is with you. When we share with a friend at lunch, when we go into those uncomfortable circumstances with somebody that we don't agree with and we sit with them and we are part of a conversation we talk to them we spend time with them god is with us that's the first thing that we see about this text is jesus spent time with people that were not holy the second thing we see is this jesus knows the power of eating with people jesus knows this is powerful now on some level it quite honestly was probably more powerful in his culture than it is in ours. But it's still powerful in our culture today. In his culture, if you refuse to eat with someone, you were saying, you're not one of us. You're one of those guys over there. You just stay where you're at. And for Jesus to break that barrier and to say to people, let's sit down at the table together, he was going from language like us and them to language like we and us around the table. It means that Jesus was including people who had been excluded. Who do you know who's excluded? Who do you know who's left out? Who do you know who's on the margins? Who do you know that society and the people in this village and the people in your family, wherever, people have just said, you're out, you're done, you're finished. Those are the people that Jesus was saying, you're not finished, it's not the last word, you're in. It's we, it's us. I know you may have differences with people and they may make you feel uncomfortable, but can you and I find bridges to say the words we? Instead of saying, well, you, what if we find ways, bridges to say we and include ourselves with them? There are so many examples in the Bible of table where Jesus sat and how important that was. Of course, when the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, when that was brought about the very first time when Jesus did that, obviously it happened at a table because they were celebrating the Passover. That's where that happened. The revelation of the risen Jesus after they walked on the road to Emmaus happened at a table. The promise of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 happened at a table. Jews and Gentiles eating together in the book of Acts, throughout the book of Acts, is how the church was made. As a matter of fact, if you look in the book of Acts, in chapter 11, what we find is that Peter has gone to the Gentiles. And he's seen that the Holy Spirit is there with the Gentiles, not just with the Jews. And his eyes are open. Wow, God is going to expand This Christianity thing to the whole world. He wasn't kidding. So he baptizes these people into Christ immediately when he finds out that they've believed. And this is the next verse. When he comes back to Jerusalem, Peter went up to Jerusalem and the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with them? It doesn't say you went to some Gentiles and you baptized them? You did what? You went, to, you went and you worshiped with them? I can't believe. No, they were upset because they said you ate with them? You're saying we. How can you do that? How could you do that? And I think Jesus would say, how can you not do that? The question for us this week is, who will you eat with this week? I know you're going to eat with people you like. I know you're going to eat with your family. I know you're going to eat with some friends. I know you're going to eat with some coworkers that you enjoy. I know you're going to invite some friends out to dinner. or You're going to spend some time with people that you like. And the question, the challenge this week is to say, are you going to eat with anybody this week that makes you uncomfortable? I want to encourage you to remember, those of you who come to peak of the week on Wednesday night, if you don't come, man, you're missing out. It's a great evening. I've said it before, I think it's the best thing going at Gateway is our Wednesday nights together. If, if you're one of the people who comes on Wednesday night, I want to encourage you to think a little bit about this. That when you step into the room, are you stepping in and you're going, hey, here's a, here's a free meal, and it's usually pretty tasty, It's pretty good, the, the people who cook do a great job, and I don't have to cook tonight, and I can rest and relax, and I can sit with my best friends and have a good time. Isn't this a great church? I love being here. Now, I do that some Wednesday nights. I'm just tired, and I want to go sit with some of my friends and just hang out and have a good time. But I'm challenging you, those of you who come to Peak of the Week, that there's more of a purpose than just making your week better. The purpose is that you would walk in and look around and have eyes to see, oh, I've never met that person before. I wonder if they're new here. I wonder if this will be the only time they walk in the doors. I wonder if I can join Jesus in an uncomfortable. That's going to make me uncomfortable. I don't know them, but I'm going to go sit down because that's what Jesus would do. He would be with people that he didn't know. He would stretch across. The question really is not so much about peak of the week this week. The question really is who are you going to connect with this week? Who are you going to connect with? Our mission card. If you got a mission card, I hope you did, and I hope you're reading along with us each week. There's a memory verse there. There's a great little uh, food for thought devotional by Doug and Shelly Hughesby. Thank you two for doing that this week. And it says your mission, should you choose to accept it, this week make contact with and find out one new thing about a person who's not a Christian. Could you reach across to someone that you have differences with and listen to them, engage, make friendships with people? And the one great place to do that is is to invite them to eat. Jesus knew the power of that. Thirdly, Jesus knows the power of telling Stories telling stories. One sheep. Kim Chester has told me before that sheep aren't dumb. But this one sheep was dumb. That's what I think. Because he wandered off, he just wandered away. And the shepherd. Cared so much about the one that he left the 99. <laughs> Sorry, it's just funny. I I don't know if you guys can all hear that. That was just funny. Whoever had that on, that's okay. A lady lost a coin out of a very special piece of jewelry. She still had nine coins, but she, she didn't stop until she found the one that was lost. A father waited patiently, never lost hope, waiting for a prodigal son. Powerful stories, three of the best. And they're powerful for this reason, because they're true stories about Jesus. That's who those stories are about. The reason I know that is because look at Luke chapter 9. At that time, as the time approached for him to be taken up into heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus turned his eyes toward Jerusalem. He had done a bunch of stuff already, and that was all great, but now he turned his eyes toward the cross, and he walked toward that cross for you and me. That's why, the power, that's why it's so powerful to hear the stories that he told about going about waiting, about loving the lost. And I want to tell you this. Your stories are powerful. You may not think they are, but I want you to know your stories are powerful. And I want to encourage you to spend just a little bit of time being quiet and remembering some of your stories on purpose. Even some of the painful stories some of the ones when you blew it, when you humiliated yourself, when you humiliated your family. Why would we want to do that? I want to forget all of that because people are going to tell you stuff going on in their life. And one thing you can do is you can give them advice. Oh, let me tell you, this is what you need to do. One, two, three, just do those three things and everything will be fine. And there's, I'm not making fun of that. That's, that. That really is a good thing to do sometimes when people are primed to hear that. But most of the time, what will impact people more than us giving our advice is to tell them our Story. I remember a time like that in my life. Something like that happened to me. Let me tell you, it was so embarrassing, and this is what went on. It it was even worse than your story. This is what happened. And you know what? God was there for me. God rescued me. God saved me, and I believe He's going to do the same thing for you. I have hope. I'm going to be praying that God's going to be working in your life. Stories are powerful. I think the last thing that I have to think about in this text is this where do we sit? When Jesus tells these three stories, like what, if, if you were there, where would you be? And, and I, what I mean by this is we get a perspective when a story is told. I used to watch movies about, you know, like young men and women that were falling in love with each other, the boyfriend and the girlfriend, and I would always relate with the boyfriend. And I'd be like, yeah, you know, I know how that feels. And yeah, you know, you want to fall in love and you want to find somebody awesome like Amy. You know, yeah, that's, that's what I would relate with. And, and I never related with the dad in the story. But let me tell you, lately, <laughs> my whole perspective is changing about how I hear stories. And I want you guys to hear this. I want you to hear where do you sit in the story when you think about the lost coin, the lost sheep, the prodigal son? Maybe you sit with Jesus. He's telling the stories and you're sitting there beside him because you know all the stories and you know all the points. You already understand everything and you're just the teacher who's teaching everybody. And that's great. We need teachers and that's wonderful if that's where you're at. But maybe, just maybe, some of us need to move away from the seat beside Jesus. And maybe we need to move over where the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were and realize these stories are here To help us realize Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Even those of us who think we're so good, we don't need any saving. Because I do everything so well. Maybe we need to sit with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and let Jesus kind of slap us like that and say, no, you're lost. You need saving. You're a mess. Probably the best place for all of us to sit is with the sinners and the tax collectors. Sit there grateful for Jesus' announcement that lost, wondering, rebellious people are valuable to God. And thank Him for it. Thank you, God. Thank you that we're valuable to you. I told you about the girl, and I showed you that picture of Heather Dornadan who fell. And I want to try to show you, if I can, real quick. It's just about a minute long. This video of her running this race And I'm going to read some scripture while you watch. Let's see if it works. That'd be cool if it did. Maybe, maybe not. There we go. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, But only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So run with purpose in every single step. Have you fallen? Have you fallen flat on your face? The story of God, the story of Jesus, the hope that we have in Christ tells us, get up, get up and run again. Some people might want to define people by whatever made them trip and fall, but I'm going to tell you what defines people is how you get up after you trip and fall. That's what defines people. That woman would never have been remembered if she had just fallen and laid there. But this girl, years later, is still one of the most famous track runners in college. Track, anyways. Because she got up and went again. And I love the scripture they put At the end of this video, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Thank God for Jesus, who's a friend to sinners, even people like me. Let's stand and let's sing. I am not skilled to understand. I am not skilled to understand.